Would you give your mum, dad, aunt or that uncle who hugs your partner a little too long free access to your phone? Oh no! Oh my god, it's, it's a really long video! Ew! In Dave's brand new YouTube original, Get Off My Phone, we've got six comedians to give their phones over to a relative with total freedom to read messages, DMs, photos and browser history. What's your social history? Sorry? What to do? Tips for relief. The rules are simple. Their relative can read anything they want and even make calls from the comedian's phone. What is this? What is I know what this one is. That, that looks really okay. bad. Starring Tanya Moore, Anya Magliano, Finlay Christie, Travis J with his mum Angie Lamar, Hayley Morris, Grace Campbell and dad Alistair Campbell. Slightly sexually compromising <laughs> Divulging their deepest digital secrets. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Get off my phone. A Dave YouTube original. Available now on Dave's YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Conversations Against Living Miserably, a podcast where we try to find solace in a world where our brains are usually against us. My name is Aaron Gillis, and each week I'll be joined by... Me, Lauren Patterson. Each week we chat to a different guest about how they try and live their life without misery. But we try and do it with a little bit of laughter, because otherwise that sounds like a pretty gloomy idea for a podcast. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Dave, the TV channel, and Calm, the campaign against living miserably. Episode 16. Bloody hell. That's quite a lot of episodes, isn't it? Uh, thank you for sticking with us. Um, anyway, intro time. Uh, this week's guest is John Robbins. John is a stand-up comedian, presenter and author. In 2017, John won the Edinburgh Comedy Award for his show, The Darkness of Robbins. And he's back at this year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival with his new show, Hot Shame, uh, which is on at the very moment. But if you're listening to this in the future, it could be on somewhere else. I'm not really sure. This week, we speak to John about anxiety, support networks and terrible poetry. This is your weekly reminder to please like, subscribe, recommend, and share the podcast. Uh, all the money we make from ads goes to Calm, which I say every single week. But um, it's a nice message to keep reiterating, isn't it? And also, just raising money for charity is quite a nice thing, isn't it? And that's what you're doing with your ears right now. Uh, anyway, let's get on with it, shall we? Uh, here is Lauren and myself talking to John Robbins. John Robbins, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, you're welcome. Hello, everyone. Um, so the first question we always start with, um, when was the last time you felt calm? Um, so I last week 
went to Bristol to see my friend and we went on a pub crawl. And uh, before then, I sort of set aside uh, about an hour and a half to sit in my travel lodge. And that was the best. Yeah. It was one of the best days of my life. <laughs> um, so I saw my girlfriend in the morning and then drove to a travel lodge and sat there for about an hour and a half. Two hours, had a bit of a nap, went for a Pizza Express and then went on a pub crawl. That sounds perfect. And it was absolute bliss. Do you find that kind of be that time alone just very important? Or is it just something that you <coughs> yeah, go into your day to day? Really, because I have a lot of it. <laughs> so, yeah, I um, I live on my own, and I like uh, like my own space and um, do a lot of thinking, a lot of chilling out. I feel like travel lodges are good to think in as well. They're such like comfy, clean rooms. But they're good perfect. size, <laughs> absolutely. Premier perfect. in beds are too high, far too high. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I sometimes imagine like if I had to just exist in one for years and that mm-hmm. calms me down quite a lot <laughs> I was in one not long ago and it had a plug socket by the bed and I was mm. like finally finally everything has come together maybe that that might have been the last time I felt calm <laughs> when me travel lodge had a plug socket by the bed and I was like this is everything I could have asked for yeah bliss so do you find it easy to find a state of calm or is it something that you have to <clears throat> yeah. make time to I'm not sort of um I have a lot of friends in comedy who are sort of quite, sort of workaholics. And yep. That's not a problem I've ever really suffered from. So I like to sort of always make sure I have like little sort of islands in the week, little just sort of places where I know I can relax. And, you know, if I have to sort of work solid for four or five nights and days, I'll always have a time to sort of just be on my own or mm-hmm. spend time with my friends. How about when you're in Edinburgh and it's it's so full on, you're doing shows every single day? Yeah. When do you find time to make sure that you're okay in that well i mean people might say it's full on but it's only an hour's work a day (laughs) (laughs) you know uh maybe half an hour before so it's not as taxing as i think some people make out okay i think sometimes if people um don't look after quite basic stuff in edinburgh like sleep and alcohol and drugs and stuff Mm -hmm. then that's when it becomes a problem um but you know my show this year is at half seven, so I'll get to the venue at quarter to seven. Uh, so I have to be up by six pm. So it's not like <laughs> I don't really. I don't Quite really, a challenge. <laughs> I, I think if you're just doing one show, I think that's that's pretty easy. But yeah. then then some people like do five or six and they like fall to pieces. And I'm like, well, that's insane. Yeah. So I don't know how you can keep your head in that many places at once. <laughs> but I sort of a few years ago made a decision that there was no real point in staying out past pub hours in Edinburgh. Mm. And uh, so now I tend not to go out as much. But it is difficult to sort of keep a lid on the booze up there, I find. Mm -hmm. So I pretty much drink every day, but not into sort of like four in the morning like I used to. Was that more of a conscious decision, just kind of self-preservation than anything else? Yeah, and also I think you get to a stage maybe in your career where you're like nothing of any real value happens after midnight anyway. (laughs) Yeah. And... uh, you know, all of the all of the most fun I've had in Edinburgh has been sort of before that time. And you end up, you know, my first few years there, sort of five or six in the morning, sort of chasing the fun and realising that it's sort of gone. So I have like a few pubs that and restaurants I like going to that I uh, sort of concentrate my attentions on. Yes. And also like making sure you're hanging out with people that are good, like a good influence, but also people who don't stress you out. I think it's much better to just go that person either winds me up or stresses me out because they're always like really frantic Mm -hmm. so I'll leave them to that it's it's almost like just 
being an adult is I feel like Edinburgh is a real test of how mature are you like are you are you going to eat takeaways every day are you going to stay up till four in the morning and like you say you do have to hit that point where you're like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big boy I'm a big yeah. girl I, I, I should be eating tomatoes I should be getting up and doing things <laughs> yeah, yeah. like I don't want to say people bring it on themselves because I know I've been there before but I think you have to take responsibility for your actions. Definitely. I did that. I went out drinking every night and was like, why am I crying all the time? <laughs> why, why am I crying constantly? Why have I lost two stone? And then the next time I was like, if I genuinely care about my mental health, I have to make the effort to identify those things that are making it bad, which is staying up till five in the morning, like chasing that fun. The fun is very much under my duvet with a pizza. That's where it is. <laughs> Because it can be just making sure that you are looking after yourself on your day-to-day as well because it's such an easy thing to forget looking after yourself and it's something that you can put to one side quite quickly. Especially, like you say, if you're just going out every single day drinking, during, the, especially during the Fringe, but even in real life, you can just get involved in some different things that just don't make any sense, don't help your mental health. Do you have certain self-care activities that you find help you on, during your week at all? Um, yeah, so, like, I have a sort of changing list of sort of basic stuff that I will look at first if I'm sort of feeling in a particularly difficult situation. And they're like all the things my mum would sort of hammer home to me when I was a teenager. So it would be, like, food, sleep, exercise, booze was sort of the main thing. So often if someone comes to me and they're having a difficult time emotionally, I'll sort of, first thing I'll ask is like, well, are you, when did you last eat? What are you eating? How are you sleeping? Are you drinking a lot? Um, are you taking lots of drugs and stuff like that? I've had sort of times off alcohol totally. Um, at the start of 2017, I did dry January. But after that, I sort of reached a compromise with myself whereby... I would not have any spirits in the house because that was a big problem for me and tried to have like two days off a week. So the goal was always like 100 days a year and uh, the last two years I've done that. And that's just sort of like, so my girlfriend, like I've got this calendar where I cross off all the days I don't drink in red and my girlfriend goes like, you're sort of like obsessive about it. That is that a problem? And I was like, well, no, the, that's what stops there being a problem. Yeah. And I guess loads of people have different stuff. So... <clears throat> in the very small windows where I'll be doing exercise, I'll like always have a spreadsheet about it because that's just how I have to turn it into some kind of game or some <laughs> kind of like stat exercise. So I get a lot of sort of pleasure when I wake up in the morning having not had a drink the night before. That's a big boost for me to start my day with that red cross on the, the calendar. It's like you're starting with an achievement, yeah, isn't yeah, yeah, it? Exactly. Yeah. And then and also because it's a struggle when I am having an evening off it's like okay you can eat whatever you want you can watch whatever you want like this is the goal is not drinking so you kind of have to go easy on yourself in other ways so it's not like oh you have to have a really healthy dinner and you have to do 10,000 steps or you have to finish this bit of writing it's like no tonight you do this and that's and then you've you've won mm-hmm. um and then usually what happens is the next day I feel a bit brighter in the morning so then all that other stuff gets done anyway so yeah like I didn't drink the last two nights so it's always trepidatious approaching like whether I'll drink tonight or not mm. I don't think I will Going back into that kind of work thing, you and Alice have created a show which has really helped men with speaking about their emotions a bit more simply by the act of you are both very good at being open and honest on your show about how you're feeling that week, Mm -hmm. Um, which is an amazing thing to bring forward into the world where that's not still not seen as a wide thing that men can do, that Mm -hmm. they can be honest. Have you always been an open and honest person or is that something that has happened over the last few years? No, always, but only with my friends. Right. Um... 
So it was never a huge part of my... Maybe it was a part of my stand-up, but it wasn't, like, my kind of thing. And I'm still not sure it is. It's just that that's how I communicate with my close friends, and Ellis is one of those close friends, so it never occurred to me to really speak in any other way. And I think maybe the reason, if it has, like, helped people and reached people, maybe the reason it has is because it's not sort of... um, It's not created as a discussion about mental health. Of course. So, uh, because I think the problem there is that if you sort of split the world into people who have mental health problems and people who don't, then it makes it hard for for the group who don't self-identify to feel a part of that. And um, you sort of get the situation where people go, well, I'm not like bipolar, so maybe I, I shouldn't, I don't need to speak to anyone, see my GP or whatever. Whereas I've never seen mental health any different to physical health mm-hmm. so you would never say to someone you know you'd say to someone are you in good health and they go well broadly but i got this that and the other and you know bad knee and a bit of a cold but there aren't people without health yeah you know so if everyone has mental health both good and bad then there's no stigma at all because it's not like oh here's the group of special people we have to be really serious about what when we're talking about them because mm-hmm. they've got serious problems and actually it's really important that everyone's really open and accepting about it well i think that's kind of self-defeating because yeah. the point is to go you know as someone who's talked about times where i felt depressed am i happier today than my really chipper mate whose girlfriend's left him yeah of course i am mm-hmm. you know he's the happiest guy i know but at the minute he's going through hell doesn't mean he's not got a mental health problem at the minute because you know mental health is you know grief and rejection and disappointment and being made redundant and being left and all those sorts of things and tiredness and you know frustration at the world they're all parts of like a mental health landscape. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's a scale, isn't it? And just because you're, say, zero's the worst and ten's the best, just because you're at a ten one day doesn't mean the next you might have slid down that scale. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. I get what you mean. If you split it into two camps, people might be like, well, I'm, I'm a ten, I'm always a ten, so this isn't for me, and they might not realise that they, they're slipping and... That's what I really like about how it's just so casual and so Mm. normal because I think it makes it so much more accessible, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I think also the more subjectively you talk about it, in a weird way, the more more people can see themselves in that. So sometimes, like watching stand-up, I think if people try to appeal to everyone, sometimes they end up kind of not actually connecting with anyone. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think if you go, right, here's this really specific story that could not have happened to anyone else and I went completely bonkers and I was in bits and I acted like a complete idiot. Whilst that's not happened to anyone else in the room, there are people who will watch that and go, oh, that's exactly like what happened with me and my wife or mm-hmm. that's exactly like what happened when I was at school or things like that. So, you know, and like me and Alice have never said, right, this morning we were talking about mental health and what, but what we might do is I might say, I don't know, my pipes leaked in my house and I didn't deal with that very well mm-hmm. and I think it may have ruined my relationship or something like that mm-hmm. and then you it's funny you mm. know a guy in his 30s staring at like <laughs> plaster that's gone wet for a day and not just dealing with it um the fact that you are putting it in such a gentle context for men that don't not necessarily even kind of mental health problems just mental health in general haven't ever been aware of mental health being a thing not even like thinking about it before looking after themselves having that kind of access through your show of just that that honesty of how you guys speak about it do you think that is something that needs to be kind of more um, widely spoken about amongst men in the entire country um yeah, I mean, I guess sort of 
a lot of the chats are when I'm like really angry at myself or when I've annoyed myself or I've got into patterns that frustrate me. But, you know, we probably, I would say you could count the times we've used the phrase mental health on our show on like one hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more you call something a taboo subject, the more you make it a taboo subject. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just you know, talk about it without all of that kind of earnest baggage I think possibly it's almost like people would go people would go into a show that states it's about mental health with different expectations to going into a show that just then happens to at some point mention feelings or emotions so yeah I've always had a very open discussion with my very closest friends. I don't have a huge amount of friends. I have a very small circle of very close friends. And I have lots of people I really love hanging out with. But in terms of, like, the people I would talk to about (laughs) stuff. But then I meet people and they're like, um, you know, they have friends going through the most horrific stuff. And you're going, oh, what did they say? And they're like, oh, we haven't really talked about it. And I'm like, I just, just, I, I cannot. It just blows my mind. These are, like, you know, creative, intelligent, bright, articulate people going through stuff and you're like how isn't this not all you've been talking about mm-hmm. for weeks yeah so i'm very lucky in a sense that i have always had friends who are sort of you know just open almost by default and i think i am more likely to connect with someone if you know if i say oh hey how are you doing and they're like i'm having an absolute fucking nightmare then i'll be like great <laughs> and I remember, got something in common yeah, one of the first one of the first sort of really strong friendships i made in comedy was with um an, another comedian sorry i was just avoiding using his name but um, <laughs> i turned up to a gig this was like 10 years ago and my girlfriend at the time had broken up with me the week before and i just said to him look i'm not going to be very good on stage tonight because this is all going on and i'm not really I, I should have pulled the gig, but I didn't really feel I could because I'd only really just started out in mm-hmm. comedy. And he said, oh, it's funny you say that because I've got this going on. He told me about this big thing in his life. And we've just been really close ever since. And all it took for me to go was, hey, I might not be very good tonight and I'm <laughs> worried mm-hmm. that you'll think I'm a bad comic, but here's why. And I think that sort of, uh, you know, if you're at work or something and you've got stuff going on, just taking aside a colleague or a, your boss or someone that you have some kind of relationship with and just going, hey... If I'm a bit off the ball today, then then here's why. Uh, you know, I don't need any necessarily any special treatment, but just so you know, I'm not a shit comic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you think when it comes to like men, is there a pressure on them to deal with things like breakups differently? Because I was having this conversation before. Like, I feel like when you're a girl going through a breakup, it's all very like, let's talk about your feelings and this and that. But I know male friends who've gone through breaks up and they're like, pull shit down, drink a beer. And I'm like, is that is that because mm. men are sort of encouraged to be, be men about it and just get on with it and find the next thing to shag? Or is that just I've got shit male friends? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that it's so hard for me to speak on behalf of men. <laughs> um, you know, a bit of an insight in what it must be like to be a female comic. It's <laughs> like speaking on behalf of 30 million people in this country. <laughs> Um, I just wonder if it's like, you know, it's coming from all different places, isn't it? It's coming from, from films and media and, you know, your parents. I guess it really depends on what the, your sort of emotional upbringing was, mm-hmm. I guess. And, you know, I've dealt with things by drinking and I've dealt with things by talking. And I've dealt with things by ignoring it. Um, but I would imagine there's, you know, a big group of people, men and women, for whom, you know, there wasn't 
as much of an emotional education when they were kids as, as as is in other things. And you often learn from what you, you know, how your parents react to stuff is often how you will react to stuff. My mum was someone who talked a lot about things like that. She's a counsellor and, um, you know, that was our, a lot of our discussions were in an emotional realm. Mm-hmm. But I guess if you have parents who don't deal with things like that, then it, it can be trickier. But I don't know that... I don't know, it feels a bit easy to say men are told to be like men. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that happens. That's not happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've probably been very, very lucky in that respect. I wonder if men have less sort of connections in their networks that they feel they can have that sort of relationship mm-hmm. with someone. I think, you know, there's obviously a stereotype that, say, a, a girl gets left, left in a relationship, it's, you know, have a night round with all your friends and yeah. you get drunk and eat ice cream and all that kind of... <laughs> from a film I once saw um, and I wonder with men it's more kind of uh, I don't know uh, but I would you know I would I would call my friend that's what I always do and mm-hmm. he calls me and I don't know a, another reality really but I guess it's it is difficult for a lot of guys I bet that's been a big help though like growing up with a parent who was a counsellor because I suppose it, uh, it's yeah, made it's, those things around <laughs> yeah. so there's many things I'd rather not have spoken about <laughs> my mum do you um, think it's made you more able to see these things as quite like I don't I don't know the phrase I'm thinking of but see them as things not to be scared to talk about because it's been quite normalised yeah, yeah I guess so and also I just think people not just your parents but genetically some people are more see the world in a more emotional mm-hmm. through a more emotional lens and i guess i'm one of those people so i've got both i've got the you know the emotionally literate upbringing um and that but that's not to say i think sometimes people c- confuse like emotional intelligence for being nice <laughs> like, <laughs> i i think what emotional intelligence is is knowing why you were rude to that person yes yeah <laughs> not necessarily not being being able to accept and explain why you were a dick <laughs> yeah. so i think like i i'm not very confident uh or comfortable around people i don't know particularly well um this is why my legs are crossed my arms are crossed and my hand is open <laughs> yeah. and um I'm aware that for many years that's sort of come across as a sort of aloofness or coldness. So, you know, I think I know some people who've only met me a couple of times would probably think I was quite hard work. Mm-hmm. But it's, um, I sort of live in my head for quite a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So talking to people I don't know, it's weird because I can talk to people I do know so easily mm-hmm. and straight into the big, you know, the big topics. Um, but talking to people I don't know, I find very difficult and I would sort of rather get my head down and mm-hmm. plough on with my own thoughts. Um, and my girlfriend's very good at calling me up on, on that because she'll be like, that person said hello to you, you didn't even look them in the eye. And I was like, oh, you don't need to tell me how to have a conversation. <laughs> and she's like, no, I, th- I do. Because that, <laughs> that person doesn't know you. And I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, maybe you're, maybe you're right. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I find that like genuinely really interesting and because I've got the same thing where people I know so comfortable with so chatty people I don't know I grow into myself so I feel like a kid hiding behind my parents mm. legs again I yeah, feel exactly. anxious I feel shy and I worry a lot of the time that my anxieties around people I don't know come across as rude and that people mm. misinterpret me as rude like how do you deal with people possibly getting that wrong vibe of it like sort of rationalise that in your you head don't, you don't you think about it for the rest of the <laughs> yeah. oh Honestly, god you just think about it till you die yeah. and then it's the last thing you think about I was about. hoping there was going to be like an escape from this <laughs> no it's oh, it's horrible and you go into sort of spirals of yeah. uh, stuff but also you know sometimes I, I it's not that someone's thought I was rude and how dare they it's like Mm -hmm. oh maybe I was just really rude to that person Mm -hmm. I remember in Edinburgh 2017 uh, I won the Edinburgh Comedy Award and about a month later I was at home and there's a web there's a Twitter account called Mumsnet Madness Mm -hmm. where people take screen grabs of crazy things that have been said on Mumsnet forums and someone had tagged me in it and I read the thing and the post was someone I know has recently won a major comedy prize and with it came a cash sum and I can't believe it because I hated this person at school and I'm so angry am I just being stupid or something so that was like the question and my blood just froze Mm -hmm. and all I wanted to do was sort of reach into my laptop and grab that person and go I'm so so sorry tell me what it was but you can't and the fact is you know at school I had problems where I was bullied and I was sort of not one of the particularly cool gang but then the flip side of that I was gobby and I was lippy <laughs> and that's why I got in trouble mm-hmm. but that does mean that you know if there was someone in my class who was probably s- quieter and shy I may well have completely trampled over them verbally mm-hmm. in like cl- in class and I may have made snarky little jokes and I may have they may have got the running of the sticker I may have said something that was cutting or you know I made Mm -hmm. jokes at school that's what I did that's how I coped but then you have to deal with the fact that that doesn't you know just because you had a difficult time at school doesn't mean you're a great guy Mm -hmm. so there are people who will have come out of you know knowing me thinking fuck that guy's hard work why he's a bit mean he's why is he always making jokes why is is he making fun of me what was that was that was that uh, me was it and you know oh god so you just you just go red in the face and don't sleep and Mm -hmm. that's how you deal with that yep See, mine works the my anxiety works the other way in the fact that I always think that people hate me from the moment they meet me, mm-hmm. and the awkward silences are evidence that they don't like me. <laughs> so I try and talk through them, mm. and I end up talking the most inane shit that then does mean they probably do hate me even more. Constant because like yeah, because now I'm not just talking at a stranger who obviously doesn't want to spend time yeah. around me anymore. Yeah, so yeah. that is the complete opposite. Well, I've had ever since this comment's been made that I was perceived to be rude because I didn't talk enough. I'm like that. I hear a silence, and I'm like. I should be talking, but what should I be saying? And then I'm like, are you talking too much? God, they're not talking back. God, they hate you. But I'm pleased to know that's going to be with me forever. Mm. 
So as someone that doesn't find it uh, comfortable to speak to new people, how did you find it after you won the Edinburgh Comedy Award? I assume you were thrown into wild press situations and... No, that was that happened to Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just seemed to uh, not really... No, that didn't really happen. <laughs> Dodge that bullet. Yep, done. Thanks, didn't, Hannah. Didn't want, a, didn't want a Netflix special. <laughs> um, no, not really. I mean, there was like a few interviews afterwards. Uh, one of them I kind of just said, I don't really want to... They were talking about Sarah, so I was like, I don't really want to talk about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was really hard because all the way through that month, because I was doing a show about the aftermath of a breakup, and Sarah was up as well doing her show, which made reference to that, but in the same way that anyone's show is about what you've been doing that year. Yeah. It's very tricky because then, like, because everyone is desperate to get their show in the press in Edinburgh, and it's so hard because there's, like, hardly any comedy coverage left in any newspaper. As soon as they've got any kind of angle or any theme for the year, a bit like when mm-hmm. Bridget's year, it was the year of feminism, and mm-hmm. they're just so desperate for anything vaguely hooky. Mm-hmm. So it was all like Battle of the Exes and that kind of crap, which is so hard and Mm. emotionally stressful Mm -hmm. and sad and so many things that you just kind of... It's so hard when you are getting that first ever opportunity to have anyone interview about your show Mm -hmm. to kind of go, well, one thing you want me to talk about, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk about because it is irrelevant. And um, that was really hard. You know, I think during that month, you know, both me and Sarah really felt for each other because of the sort of press around our shows. But I was able to avoid that. I mean, I saw it online and stuff, but it's only, you know, when it boils down to it, it's a couple of stories in a couple of papers for a couple of days. And then and then you go back to being completely ignored. Yeah, <laughs> just the way we like it. Yeah. This is why I wrote my breakup show about a non-comedian, because they couldn't bring him in for questioning. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, took his voice away. Excellent. <laughs> but in a sense, you've already kind of beat them to the past because I've been talking about it with Ellis for a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like, oh, what's your side of the story? It's like, well, A, there's no story. B, there's no side to it. You know, my show's about me. Yeah. Buy a ticket of the show, dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or listen to 260 hours of radio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's your back reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, going back to something you said a little bit earlier about kind of um, how you've always found it quite easy to talk with your friends. Mm. For people that find it difficult to speak to their friends about these sorts of things, are there any sort of kind of small segues or ways into these conversations that you found useful in the past? Or is it something that just comes quite naturally to you in your friendship group? I think you sort of have to start with very simple statements. So very simple statement, oh, difficult day. You know, that I think is within most people's ability to to voice the phrase to someone I'm having a difficult day yep. no one's going to run a mile when you say that and obviously you know pick the person who you think would be most receptive to that mm-hmm. and also the person who you might want to carry that discussion on with and then you can extrapolate that out having a really difficult month having a really difficult year having a really difficult life yep. you know <laughs> but I, I've had a few moments in my life especially when I had a gambling problem in my teens where the act of actually saying it built up and built up and built up until it was, you know, a real sort of threat to my physical and mental well-being. And eventually you just have to pick someone and go, I, if I don't talk to you about this, I'm going to do something stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sort of that act of communication just sets things in motion that are at times painful, but probably broadly positive. Because um, the most difficult thing about something like you know, admitting to problems with debt or uh, alcohol abuse or drug abuse or 
uh, gambling, as an example, is as soon as you have that breakthrough moment where you admit it, suddenly you have this huge mountain of shit that you have to face up to. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really difficult, and that can set people back so long and stop people talking for an awful long time. Because, you know, the easiest way to deal with debt is to ignore it. The mm -hmm. easiest way to deal with mm -hmm. alcohol problems is to keep drinking. The easiest way to deal with the gambling debt is to keep gambling. And it's just, and that is scary. And I remember the fear, the burning fear of, like, I've got to actually turn this around and I've got to start scaling a mountain like one tiny, seemingly insignificant step at a time. And now you can look back on it and say, well, it's the best thing I ever did. But at the time, it's just terrifying. Um, so I can absolutely understand someone in the position where that first vocalising of that, that issue is really difficult because not only you might be embarrassed or ashamed or there are going to be consequences of you saying that thing. You know? It's so easy to just drop a message or do something very small mm -hmm. to start those kind of chains of events off. It doesn't. You don't necessarily need to take them out for a one-on-one -on -one meal, candlelight dinner, and treat them like for three hours. I mean, you, totally could. Into... That I mean you can. That's yeah. great. Like, if you are comfortable doing that, it's absolutely fantastic. But usually, yeah. it can just be dropping a mate a message or just uh -huh. kind of something. Imagine like... turning up thinking you're going for a lads' night out, and it's just. You in a candelabra. <laughs> uh, me and my date, Tom, that would be like my ideal <laughs> night. That sounds absolutely perfect. But um, yeah, I think just anything small. Because when you kind of speak to your friends, do you just expect them to, to listen and just be their sponge? Or do you kind of go to them for advice? Or No, I think actually what I've... I am very much a solution-orientated person. When someone mm. comes to me with a problem, before they finish the sentence, I will have thought... We need to do this. <laughs> and I've had to be really... I've really had to learn that that is not particularly useful for people. In incredibly broad terms, I think perhaps it's a more male feature to go, we do this. And I think perhaps very broadly, it's a more um, female characteristic to need to actually talk through mm -hmm. and articulate that thing. So the classic thing that me and Alice would talk about it's like I'll be like oh she said this and I was like why don't you do this and he's like yeah I know it's, it's mad isn't it <laughs> and you're like well actually all she wanted to do is talk about it for two hours mm -hmm. and they're like yeah tell me about it um, and even though we might kind of sort of roll our eyes there is something important in sometimes realising that you can if you come up with a solution to someone's problem they bring to you very early doors that cuts off all the other yeah multifarious avenues of conversation they may have either intended or unintentionally mm -hmm. gone down if you've just gone oh we well, just do this you just need to tell her that mm -hmm. and you're like okay yeah. right, bye <laughs> thanks. thanks for the 10 second chat yeah. <laughs> so I've had to be quite and it's you know it's a it's a you know counselling 101 is you don't it's not telling people what to do it's it's listening to people and and sort of guiding them until they find the solution within themselves so I'm, I've had uh, you know several periods of my life when I've had counselling for various things, and you can tell a bad one because they're doing most of the talking, mm. and you're thinking, "Hang on, you've been talking for like four minutes here. <laughs> uh, this is not about me. Yeah, I'm the one paying for this." <laughs> Whereas actually, the the best counsellors are the ones where you're thinking, "All I'm really doing is talking. I'm not really feeling anything here. I'm not. I'm just mm. chatting to them about. Oh, now I'm crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is my face wet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because you do, sometimes you don't realise what you're saying is not only true but exists 
until you've said it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think, you know, messaging and texts and emails are good. But there's something about the actual act of vocalizing something mm -hmm. where suddenly you you feel feelings solidifying into words and you're like, holy shit, I, I didn't know that was even in me and I just said it. Yeah. Whereas I think we're, we're, we always sort of slightly pause before we text or type. Exactly. And you can delete something when you're halfway through typing yeah, yeah, it, but yeah. when it's out of your mouth, it's out there. I yeah. call it the brain shits. Uh -huh. And I, because I'll start talking. I did it the other night. I was stressed about one thing. And my boyfriend is very logical, like, kind of, he'll be like, solution straight up. But I've told him, I'm like, just let me talk. And he did. He just sat. And I got the brain shits where it just kept coming and coming. And like, one thing led to another. And things I hadn't even realized I was bottling up. And I got to the end of it. And I was like, I feel 10 stone lighter. Oh my God. Like, I've just had the brain shits. And it was, amazing so good and he didn't say a word and he just went normally he'd present a solution you went do you feel better and i was like yeah should put killing eve on and i was like yeah yeah brilliant oh brain shits great things to have better but than the actual shit you're completely right it's the first moment that it comes out of your mouth and you've said it to yourself it's almost like you've admitted it finally to mm -hmm. the world that you can discuss it then in a more like, open space you know that thing where people want to break up with their girlfriend or boyfriend so what they do is start telling their friends i'm going to break up with them mm. It's almost like that you're testing out. So you're sort yeah, of... trying to emphasize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then a month later, they'll be like, I thought you were breaking up with that person. <laughs> but um, it's very transformative. And if you think about it, any sort of change in anyone's um, mental health comes about through a conversation. That conversation has to start somewhere, whether it's with a friend or a family member or a GP or a stranger or a 12-step group or Samaritans or whatever. But it, it's impossible for it to get better without mm -hmm. talking. Yeah. So better to st start sooner rather than later. Yeah. When you think about like those sort of like darker days, if you could go back, what would you do sort of like past John to be like, this is what's going to make it a bit lighter, a bit more, like with the benefit of what you know now, mm. like if you could go back to say whatever, I'm not going to ask what your darkest time was because I don't want to make anyone cry. But like <laughs> if you think what was like a really dark time, what would you tell yourself now to like make that a bit lighter and make that a bit more... Well, I don't know that there's anything I would necessarily tell myself because I've, mm -hmm. since I was about, I don't know, 10 or 12, I've always had those times. Mm -hmm. So even when, you know, the split second after someone says, this is over, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. Mm -hmm. In that split second, it's like you see the next year. Yeah. And you're like, okay, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. You're going to do that. You're going to write that you're gonna drink that you you so part well i'm not saying you me this <laughs> is what i see for myself so by the time you know you're in your 30s you're kind of in familiar territory or i i was kind of in familiar territory so yeah it doesn't make it any easier but um i i think what i would probably say to myself in those absolute the absolute you know dire bottom of the pit is kind of, you know, look after yourself, be kind to yourself, and one day you will look back at this moment as being the first step on the road to this great place. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what you can't kind of... It is impossible to communicate to people in those mm -hmm. moments, but it's like in two years' time, when you're feeling better and feeling good, you're going to go, yeah, and it all started there. That was that moment. That was the light switch. Yeah, but... Um, uh, yeah, I guess when I was, if I could go back to my 12, 14, 16 year old self, I would probably say 
all this stuff you're writing is great. <laughs> Do not show it to anyone. <laughs> um, I wish there are a few times in my life, a few uh, pretty hefty, shameful memories. Not that I'd done anything wrong, but certainly freaked out a couple of girls in my uh, school. <laughs> Keep the old poems in the drawer, man. <laughs> That's what I would say. We'll hope you can take something from this podcast away with you in your day-to-day life. Whatever situation you're in, you're not by yourself. We can share our stories, share our experiences. We can help each other know that things do get better. Episode 16, done. Complete. Over. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Thank you to John and uh, thank you to Lauren as well, obviously. You're probably thinking... What should I do with myself now? What, what, what could I possibly do with myself now? Well, you could uh, rate and review this, uh, this strange little podcast. Um, it would be a really nice thing to do, I think. And then once you've done that, uh, I don't know, cup of tea, nap, something like that. Something self-carey, probably a good idea for after this podcast. Yeah, that's it. That's, that, that's the end of the podcast. Uh, I've run out of things to, to talk about, so I'm just going to go away. Uh, come back next week if you fancy it. That would be absolutely wonderful. But until then, bye, 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 bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Would you give your mum, dad, aunt or that uncle who hugs your partner a little too long free access to your phone? Oh no! Oh my god, it's, it's a really long video! Ew! In Dave's brand new YouTube original, Get Off My Phone, we've got six comedians to give their phones over to a relative with total freedom to read messages, DMs, photos and browser history. What is your social history? Sorry? What to do, tips for relief. The rules are simple. Their relative can read anything they want and even make calls from the comedian's phone. What is this? What is I know what this one is. That, that looks really okay. bad. Starring Tanya Moore, Anya Magliano, Finlay Christie, Travis J with his mum, Angie Lamar, Hayley Morris, Grace Campbell, and dad, Alistair Campbell. Slightly sexually compromising <laughs> Divulging their deepest digital secrets. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Get off my phone, a Dave YouTube original. Available now on Dave's YouTube channel. <laughs>